When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and we are wrapping up Pride Month with our second Queer as Folk episode of the month. Remember, every year we, we revisit Queer as Folk, and this time we are looking at the characters Debbie and Vic. And I, of course, want to give a shout out to the actors here. So, of course, Sharon Gless played Debbie. And Jack Weatherall played Vic Grass, Grassy, so Debbie Novotny. Sorry, I'm sorry. You probably know her last name, but just in case you didn't. And of course, Debbie and Vic. Well, Debbie is the mom to Michael and almost like a surrogate mom to everybody else, even if they don't want her to be. Love you, Debbie, but it's true. <laughs> and Vic, of course, is Michael's uncle. Um, so with me today, of course, is returning from Wednesday's episode, Carla from Bedwetter Behead and Danelle. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to have Ken and Ishelle from Liberty Diner Dish joining us. So I'm very sad about that, but I'm happy to have Carla and Danelle returning. So, uh, I wanted to first just start out with talking about that sibling dynamic because Deb and Vic our siblings, Vic, of course, when the show opens, Vic does have AIDS. He has come out of a battle where they thought he was going to die. And now he's on the mend. He's better, but he's living with Debbie. And Debbie has been taking care of Vic this whole time. And they're very, very close. You don't really learn too much about their parents, a little bit, but not too much. But you just know that Debbie has basically been there for Vic this whole time. And Vic, I think, really helped Michael a lot through his life too and through his coming out process and that as well. But I want to talk about that sibling dynamic because you see sometimes where Vic seems to feel like he is smothered by Debbie, or at least that's the way I I read it. And then also Debbie, I think, sometimes hangs on to Vic and uses Vic as a shield for not living her life to the fullest. But I want to know if you think that, Carla. So what do you think about their their sibling dynamic? And do you think it's ever codependent? Well, it's it's all the way codependent. It, you know, it's they do have a really good dynamic in some ways. And in those ways, it's that they support each other, they love each other. Debbie has never 
allowed anybody to help her raise Michael except for Vic. So she's taken on a lot on her own and she quote unquote lets Vic help where he can. I, I, a lot of the times I do love their relationship. I love how close they are. I love how they joke with each other, how they're, you know, just like an irreverent brother, sister relationship, which I think is, it's so much fun to, to watch, but to a point because Debbie not only uses Vic as a shield between herself and putting herself out there, she also doesn't let Vic move on because she's constantly telling him, well, you know, I kind of saved your life. I kind of saved your life. And in constantly harping on that, she doesn't let Vic grow as a person either. Just the same way that she suffocates Michael, she suffocates Vic all in the, in the name of love, supposedly. So, you know, it's good until the point where it's, where there's a toxicity to it, where there's that, that manipulation to a point that Debbie does. And it's, she, she kind of makes Vic believe that, that he can't make it on his own. And so he doesn't, and he doesn't try. So he kind of sinks into himself and is just not really trying to do very much of anything with his own life. And then when he does, she completely blows up at him for doing that. Cause like on the one hand, she's, you know, she gasses him up and says, Oh, you're great, Vic. You're so good with this and with that. And, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? But when he tries anything, she's like, no, maybe you should sit down, you know. You know, I, I, I'm taking care of you and I know what's best for you. So I think that you should, you know, maybe not. So it, it's, it's a bit of a mess, but overall they, they do truly love each other. Yeah. And Danelle. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. I, for me though, when I, when I watch the show, I see this woman who loves so hard and so completely she she loses herself in it and she's such a caretaker at heart she has such pure intentions but it, it is it goes into that codependency and that that smothering kind of behavior and it goes too far and i think um we see debbie kind of learn a little bit as things as as the seasons go on but I think when you watch someone you care about so much almost die, I think there's that constant panic for her that Vic's going to get sick again. She constantly worries about that. And and she does take it to the extreme. She does harp on it. She does keep him from kind of branching out again, you know, living again to the fullest extent. So it is kind of heartbreaking to see them kind of at odds when Vic finally does start to kind of spread his wings again, but it was necessary, you know, it was necessary for his growth and for hers. Um, And of course she does the same thing with Michael. (laughs) I love Debbie. She's one of my favorite characters on the show for a lot of reasons. You know, I think everybody would love to have a mom that loves that hard and and is that supportive of you, (laughs) you know, um, as long as they're not completely smothering you (laughs) like Debbie does. Yeah, I think she definitely has some codependency issues with her with Vic. And, but I, I love the fact that they are so close. And it is, it's nice to see siblings get, a, you know, 
have such a close relationship when it's not maybe not something you like personally have seen, you know, with your own siblings or, you know, for those who aren't close with their siblings. So to kind of see that. Yeah. Well, I see, I, I love Deb and Vic. I do. However, I do think, especially with Debbie, I think what she tends to do, and she doesn't just do it with Vic, she does it with Michael too. Um, she tends to really, really uh, glom onto people, hang on to them, and has codependency when it comes to both her son and her brother. And I do, I do agree. There is that that thing of you know her brother almost died, so she's living under that umbrella of fear and knowing that her brother could die any moment now, and she may not even know when it's going to happen. And so being surrounded by that and that fear of death and surrounded by death does take a toll on you, especially when they went through him nearly dying. But she does tend to rub it in. I mean, there is the whole episode where Vic does say, yes, I know, mother, you never let me forget it that you saved my life. Because it's true, she does rub it in his face and uses it. I think she uses it when she is afraid she's losing Vic. And so even though she wants Vic to live and have a life, when there's anything that might threaten that, like I think even when Vic starts doing the catering thing with Emmett, there's a little part of her that's threatened by that. And then especially, and we'll be talking about their big fight, especially when Vic falls in love with Rodney, that is like big time threatening because you notice Vic is fine with Debbie dating, wants Debbie to date, wants Debbie to have the relationship with Horvath, wants all that stuff, encourages it. But Debbie does not want Vic to have that relationship because then her whole identity has been wrapped up in caring for her brother. So then if she loses that, who is she? And also, does does she matter? Does she have any place in the world? I think she kind of feels like her only... Her only job and her only sense of self-worth is caring for people. But then she also feels like nobody really cares about her. And so she feels very um, slighted very easily. Um, She gets offended very easily by that. But she also has guilt around that too. And you also notice that just even with her job, you know, at the diner, even when she's like forced to possibly retire she can't even do that so it's just it's this very she's just been a caretaker for so long and you know who knows if like when her brother when they were younger she may have been the one that helped her brother when her brother was coming out and that was a very different time not like when this was done like not like there and there still are lots of homophobia lots of homophobic i um thoughts and people out there it was very hard to come out of the closet but back when they were young, it was even harder. So she's probably always kind of been there for him. And so I think she feels that, well, you're the, then you're just going to be with me my whole life. And we're just going to be attached at the hip forever. You can't leave me for somebody else. I'm the one who can care for you. I'm the one that can save your life. And, you know, it kind of ends up, you know, I like their relationship on one hand because I do think they're kind of cute together. Uh, they're funny and I love, I love both of them individually. I think they're, I think they were a great addition to the show. I mean, I know they were there from the beginning, but they were a great part of the show, a fabric of the show. 
And I was very sad when Vic died. That was devastating. It was something you kind of knew would happen and it made sense that it happened in the show, but it was still devastating, especially the way it happened and everything else that was happening at that time. But before Vic died, of course, there, they did have a big falling out in season four. And it was the first time you'd seen them argue before, have little spats fight. And this was over Rodney, basically. I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. Vic ended up leaving, moving in with his boyfriend. He's in love. He had like a dinner party, didn't invite Deb. Debbie was feeling totally left out of everything. And so they had a big fight, basically Debbie saying, screw you, little brother. I don't want to have anything to do with you and leaving. And then, of course, Vic passes away before they've had a chance to make up. And we will talk about Vic's death um, towards the end here. I wanted to save that towards the end. But did you think, Carla, that big blowout, did you think that was kind of inevitable? Um, And did you appreciate the show actually doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I I really did. Because I I think it would have been really unrealistic for them to not have confronted each other at some point. Because, you know, when when you're living at at somebody's mercy, which Vic was living at Deb's mercy, to be perfectly honest, you feel like you have to not rock the boat. Like you have to, you know, keep the peace at all costs. Um, He was constantly doing this by kind of running interference for Michael and talking Michael down a lot when Michael would get upset about Deb interfering. Just there were a lot of times when Vic was the one smoothing things over because yes, he loves his sister and he, he does think, you know, she's a very smart person and she to some point knows what she's talking about. But also if he doesn't, he's not kind of, you know, earning his keep. So, and that's a very vulnerable position to be in when you are medically fragile and living under somebody's thumb. He had no real independence and he had no sense that he could have independence because Deb made it pretty clear constantly that Vic was dependent on Deb. And there wasn't really a moment when he could escape from that. So, when he sees that, you know, through Rodney, and Rodney seeing Vic as a whole person, when he sees that, oh my God, you know, why am I living like this, a life where he can't do the things that he wants? I mean, th- that dinner party, you really see Vic just flourishing. He looked so happy. And it's not to say that he, you know, he didn't hate living with Deb and he wasn't unhappy living with Deb, but he couldn't be his full self. It's one thing to like live with your sibling and be on equal footing. But when you're in a situation where you feel like indebted to your sibling to the point where you can't live your authentic life, that puts a big damper on how you see yourself. So it really, I think, took Rodney to make Vic see himself as a full person. And in that, and Debbie not continuing to not see him as a full person that's where that friction came in and, re- and it really blew up all of these feelings of resentment that I think Debbie had also. And Vic was finally letting himself feel really, you know, came to a head and, and things blew up. And this is one of those things where like, I it's, it's Debbie's at fault here. Debbie should have 
been more considerate of her brother being an adult. You know, he's a grown up. He's not making the choices that you want him to make, but that's, you know, shut up about it. It's, it's, he's not doing anything wrong. You know, he, he's not, he's just not willing to live life by your rules anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, he's an adult. Yes, you've nursed him back to health. You have taken care of him. You've worked your butt off so that he wouldn't need to work. But even when he wanted to contribute, you put that down. When he wanted to take the next step with his relationship with Rodney and move in with him, you, you know... (sighs) She really made it difficult for for Vic to not voice that, you know, that resentment. Debbie just really made it more difficult for Vic than it needed to be. And it's it's a real shame because they, you know, like I said, they really do love each other. And it, it, it was very hard to watch that happen. But like, again, I do think it was a, a necessary step, both in the storytelling and in the characters, I, I think that they, they're both just such passionate people that you can't have all of those feelings and not have them come out at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Danelle? Wow, I don't know what to say. Carla, I think you said it so well. Um, <laughs> I think that big fight was so heartbreaking, but it was necessary. I agree. I think... The fact that, you know, Vic was finally spreading his wings, so to speak, and falling in love and, you know, starting to do the catering business and all of the things that were kind of coming his way. It was really hard for Debbie. I think she just lives. She was so stuck in that survival fear mode when it came came to Vic. She couldn't let go of it. And also, um, I think there's a valid point in saying if she didn't act as the caretaker for Vic and follow Michael around as well, she'd have to deal with herself. You know, she'd have to look at all the things that she was going through and, and, you know, kind of take an inner look at at herself and, and for women, especially of that generation, that's very difficult. You know, they were raised to be caretakers, exact, you know, just full on caretakers. You don't think about yourself. You, your kids are first, everybody else is first. You know, and there's still a little bit of that mentality when it comes to the way women are treated in the world. But (laughs) thank God we've come a little farther than that. But yeah, I really think that was part of Debbie's issue. But the fight itself, when um, they finally have that blow up, it is just so gut-wrenching to see. Because for me, just watching the show, I always loved their dynamic. I thought it was, you know, their their banter is funny and (laughs) they just kind of crack me up sometimes. And you know, just fun characters in, in themselves. And to see that that change so quickly and so, I mean, it was very well done, but it was just like, ouch, you know, it was painful to watch. So, yeah, I, but it was necessary, unfortunately, for the, for the sake of a good storytelling, um, which I feel like that was one of the best storylines as far as like growth and, and what happened in the series. And just for the, you know, growth of the characters, you know, the storytelling and the growth of the characters. So we see that transforms Debbie completely, um, I think, quite a bit. Yeah, it was pretty inevitable. I mean, you kind of had to have 
he had to have a big fight with these two at some point, and it would have been over something. And I think, you know, it wasn't so much even Rodney or the dinner party. Those were kind of symptoms of what the bigger thing was with Debbie, where she had built her whole personality around being Vic's caretaker. And now Vic was like, well, I don't need you to be my caretaker anymore, but good luck to you with your life. That's the way she saw it. Was good luck to you. Yeah, whatever. I don't really care, but you go on your merry way. And she tried to put on that brave front, like, you know, when when she was being all defensive, like, no, are you kidding me? I'm having so much fun being here alone. It's so much fun. And Debbie also can't really live alone. And there are people like that, like Emmett. And that's why Emmett ends up moving in there. So there are people that, you know, can't live alone and don't like living alone. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if the person you're living with doesn't foresee their life like that forever and they want to have their own life and find their own path without you, then then it is it might be hard, but you do have to be able to step aside and let them live their life. And I think Debbie sacrificed so much of who she was for taking care of people. And she started it with being a single mother who was raising a child with little to no help and didn't have a lot of money. And so she's already on that path. So her whole identity has been a caretaker. And so who is she if she can't take care of anybody? And there's almost a sense, you know, she's not really taking care of him. But even when Emmett moves in, there's almost a sense of taking care of Emmett to an extent. She's always taking care of all of the boys. You know, she's their caretaker, too. And like we were saying last week when we were talking about Mel and Lindsay, you know, she's Michael is a lot like his mom because he grew up with a mom who is just very much about smothering is how you show love. And Michael smothers. I mean, we talked about how Michael stalked Mel in the parking lot and how creepy and awful that was and how it must be so hard to have. Now you have Michael and you have Debbie as the grandmother. Oh my gosh, talk about a grandmother from hell. <laughs> I cannot imagine having to deal with her. Oh my God. That's really why they went to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, they visit them all the time. You know, they just. <laughs> I'm sure she has so many stamps on her passport from going to see her grandbaby. <laughs> her grandbaby and nobody else's. Yeah. And that's the way they probably at some point just said, Debbie, we already know you're just come across. You don't even have to show your passport at this point. She comes through with like pie for all of the agents. I was going to say the lemon bars from the diner. Lemon bars. Yes. (laughs) Hey, where's Stu this week? I brought Stu his lemon bars. Okay, you can have a lemon bar, but give the rest to Stu. (laughs) That's funny because it's true. But, but yeah, so that's, that's Debbie's whole thing is I'm the this, I'm the mother, I'm the caretaker, I'm the grandmother, I'm the friend, I'm the this. So when she has to be Debbie, that's terrifying for her. I think that's the other part. She has to actually look at herself and her life and decide what she's going to do with the rest of her life. And she's like, has all this freedom almost. And then 
all of a sudden she she doesn't she doesn't know what to do with that freedom. I think is another part of it. So yeah, Carla, go ahead. I think one thing with with Debbie, and yes, she absolutely sees herself as, as a ta- caretaker, and she has all of this unlimited love to give, and her way of showing that love is this fussing and um, kind of steamrolling that she does, but in a sense, it's also very self-serving and, and there's a lot of martyrdom that comes in, in, in with that because she, she, for one thing, she just as, as a parent suffocating your child like that keeps them from growing up. It keeps them from maturing because they always have you to fall back on and you should absolutely always support your children and be there for them. But what she does is creates this uh, environment for Michael where he never really becomes a responsible adult until, you know, kind of, he, he becomes that in spite of her, not thanks to her. So yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for how much she loves and she gives and she sacrifices, but a lot of it is, serving her agenda more than it is anybody else's. And there's a lot of, of um, hoisting herself up as a saint and a martyr in the service of, of that self-image. Yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, well, let's talk about them. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about them as individuals, but if there are any other relationships outside of their relationship together or any other things you want to bring up about Deb and Vic, Carla? Yeah, I, I love Vic's relationship with his nephew. I, I think he he is so there for him and he cares about him. He tries to he, he tries to be like that that dad that he lacked. You know, he, he he's not going to overtly say like you know you can come to me for anything that you need but michael knows that that's what he has there he has somebody who's constant and very present and loving and he is that to everybody who comes through through novotny home everybody knows that they can go to vic and talk to him about things that maybe you know as much as debbie is the mom there are some things that you don't necessarily feel like telling mom you know and 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 Vic is the cool uncle that everybody can can go to, especially as gay men. You know, one thing that bothered me about Debbie is that her she she kind of positions herself 
in the community, in the LGBTQIA plus community as a member, more so than as an ally. She kind of sees herself as part of the community. And I think that that's like, um, a thing that happens a lot with, with some allies is where they, um, they center themselves. And she does that pretty frequently. So for this group, especially the, the, the guys, to be able to go to Vic, somebody who sees things from inside the community, is very important to them. This is an, an elder. And it's, it's an elder who, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Vic surviving for such a long time with AIDS in a time when not everybody did, when there were so many deaths. So he is a, you know, like a beacon of hope and like the, the shining light because he has survived this long with this. So that, and those relationships, I really enjoyed watching. I enjoyed him, you know, um, and, and he's, he's not like a TV dad where he sits down next to you and it's like, son, let's talk about everything that went wrong in your life. It, it's not like that, but it's still valuable what, what he does. And, Debbie, I, I liked her relationship a lot with Emmett and with Justin, especially with Justin, because Justin really needed somebody like Debbie in his corner. Um, he needed somebody who was as gung-ho about him being who he was as she was, because it took his own mom a very long time to come around. I mean, his mom never stopped loving him, and she supported him in the ways that she could until she was really ready to support him fully. So Debbie is like a, a foster mom in that sense that she gave him a place to go that was unconditional in, in, in the acceptance of him fully until his mother was ready to step into that role. And once she did, you know, like their relationship mended and, and came back so much stronger. So I, I really liked seeing that Justin needed the kind of, of love and tough support that Debbie gave because I mean, Justin was a spoiled little brat when the show started and he, you know, he was mouthy to his parents and mind you, I don't, I don't care how, how he talks to his dad. His dad, his dad is absolute trash. And, and I hated him, but yeah, but uh, he, he needed somebody to put him in his place and you know who better than than Debbie? So I, I really I, I love their relationship. I, I love her her friendship with with Emmett because even though she she did try to mother him, he w- he was you know he's he's older than Justin, so he doesn't have that same hang up about um, talking back to an elder. Like this is somebody who's like, no, you don't understand. I'm Emmett. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I live with you, but you're not going to tell me how to live my life. So they have like a, a, a different kind of respect there. So yeah, I I I did like that. I, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> and Danelle. Yeah, I. Oh my goodness. So Vic's relationship with Michael is one I really. In- um, Joy, I'm kind of backing off what um, going picking backing off of what Carla said. Um, I do love that. Well, I actually like his relationship with all of the guys really because Vic was kind of that person who was kind of in the background that everyone kind of loved and respected and knew they could go to. But 
as Carlos said, he wasn't overt about it. He wasn't the type to sit out like, tell me what's going on, son, you know, like kind of thing. He just was there. He was just a, a calming presence. And I even found him calming, even in scenes, he didn't speak much. He did. He just kind of has that calming presence, um, I think, throughout the series. And I think he's grounding for Debbie with her <laughs> extreme, you know, and I think she, she, he, same with Michael, he's grounding for Michael, you know, when Michael, because Michael's so much like his mother in a lot of ways. So yeah, I liked his, I liked his relationship with all the guys. And if you notice as much as Brian's such a brat to everybody, he never, I don't remember him going off on Vic like he does everybody else. I never remember him being kind of the dick that he can be to everybody. Um, as much as I love Brian, and y'all know I love him, but he, um, he, I don't remember him ever having words with Vic like that. And I think that's very telling of the respect that Brian had for him and, and everybody had for Vic. So I think that's just kind of telling of who the character is, you know, like the depths of respect that people had for him. Except for the ghost Vic, that that was the one that Brian had, but that's totally done. It's not really Vic. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot that about that. That was so wild. That was such a trip. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but that was different. That I totally wasn't, forgot about that. <laughs> that wasn't like the real Vic. That was, you know, Brian's own insecurities. So Carla, I know you wanted to add something. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I hated hated, hated Debbie's hypocrisy about Ben because, you know, she's out here talking about how her brother is wonderful and, you know, how he can live like the the life that he leads, thanks to her and all of that. But then Ben comes into the picture and she pretty much tries to prohibit Michael from seeing Ben because Ben is HIV positive the way that she treats Ben at the beginning of his and Michael's relationship was atrocious. And, you know, I listen as, as a mom, I completely understand wanting to protect your child, especially when it's, it's still, you know, things at that point when the show was airing had improved a lot for people with HIV, the prognosis had improved a fair bit from the eighties and what that was like. But you know, being scared for for your child, absolutely, I understand. But you can't, first of all, you can't prohibit a grown man from seeing another grown man. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. And then to treat Ben the way that she did, she treated him like absolute trash. And like, she, like, like he was trying to get her son ill. It, that, that was kind of like the, um, she treated him like being irresponsible just for having HIV. And it just flies in the face of everything that had been set up about her to that point. And I, I think that for me, that really soured me on Dev a lot. It really, because it made me just really angry because like the look on Vic's face when she, when they were having that dinner and Ben was there and she's like, you know, really lighting into him about his status and his lifestyle and everything. And Vic is like, uh, hello, you know, how do you think that makes me feel? It's, it's, it's like, you know, to a much, in a much different way and to a lesser degree, but still similar when people make fat jokes in front of their fat friends mm-hmm. and they say, it's just a joke. Well, you're still hurting your friend's feelings. Her, her laying into Ben like that is bound to hurt Vic's feelings. 
and it, it just really oh it made me so angry for for ben and for michael and yes she comes around and they have that beautiful moment with the soup in the hospital and it's all great and groovy and after that and whatever but it, it really made me see her in a different light I know that a lot of people, viewers and stuff, thought that should have never happened and that shouldn't have been put in there and that that doesn't fit Debbie. But I have to say, it actually does fit Debbie because it it makes sense that she reacted that way and not just the the mom thing. It's more um, Debbie doesn't like any kind of threats of something taking something away from her, someone away from her. And that's kind of what she saw Ben as in that situation. And her mind went to the worst case scenario. And also, I mean, also really the really harsh thing that she said, you know, was that it was the first time she ever wished that Michael wasn't gay. And that's even harder because that's cruel. That's just. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, she she's basically saying like, oh my gosh, I've never, you know, I love you, son. But just for a moment, I kind of wish that you weren't who you are. Like, how is he supposed to take that? How is anybody supposed to take that? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's very, yeah, that was very, that was very rough and really uh, made me angry at Deb. But I don't think it was a bad thing that they did that. I just think that, you know, it, it, it made sense that that happened that way. It completely made sense. So, yeah. and. You know, Vic, Vic to me, uh, was like the elder, the wise elder for a lot of these boys. And I think that was a great thing for them to have there. And I think, you know, like, like you said, Carla, Debbie did very much insert herself as part of the community instead of just an ally, very much in a lot of the things she said, her actions, what she did, and she centered herself. And so I think, like you said, having Vic there, having Vic there to counteract that where Vic is part of the community and Vic has been part of this community for longer than a lot of these people have and has seen, you know, you know, Stonewall, seen all sorts of things happen in the country. I mean, he has that whole speech during the election, the episode of the election is like, well, I lived through Reagan. I lived through two Bushes. I've let, you know, all this stuff and talking about how much he has lived through and seen. And so I think it's also nice to have him there to have like when you have someone like Justin or you have the, the younger people in here kind of being like, Oh, okay. Well, there was also this, and we have to be thankful to this generation, to Vic's generation, that we have this stuff or that these things have happened. And so it was nice to have him there for that. And even though Vic did die, it was nice to have somebody who had AIDS. And then, of course, then you've got Ben that comes in later, but you've got somebody who has AIDS who is not constantly sick, not constantly in bed who goes out, has fun, goes out and dances, goes out to these events. Um, he starts a career. That I think was also important to see at that time because that was very rare for you to see that on television. It would always be, yes, he does die, but that fit with the time. But you still got to see him really live a life. You got to see him have a relationship. So he wasn't just, you know, 
pushed off to the side or living in some hospice center the whole time. So that was also important with Vic. And then with Debbie, um, you know, Debbie can be very, 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 very controlling and smothering. My favorite relationship of Debbie's is with Brian. I really love Debbie and Brian's relationship because there is this different, it's a very different mother-son relationship because Brian very much thinks of Debbie as his mom and Debbie very much thinks of Brian as another son of hers. And But it's a very different than Michael and Debbie's relationship because Brian doesn't want someone to smother him, first of all, like that. And they can like give it to each other and talk down to each other, but they have some of the best conversations together. The time when they got stoned together and they're, you know, and she brought over the tuna casserole and they're sitting there and she's talking about Grace Slick and all this stuff. It's one of my favorite scenes in the show because it's like, first of all, you're seeing a different side of Debbie too, in a way. Because you're seeing Debbie be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more herself, and not just she's worried about Brian, but she's not there to smother Brian in a way. She's there to commune with him, to get to know him, to see where he is. And that's why I liked their relationship, because you didn't just see that codependency there. And that's why, you know, I mean, it's totally justified when Debbie gets angry at Brian after Vic dying. But the, I just think that was such an in, uh, such a good, re- healthy, healthier relationship, I think, than she had with other people because there wasn't this codependency thing. And I, a lot of it was because Brian, frankly, didn't need Debbie. <laughs> he, need, he needed a mother and she fulfilled that because he didn't have a – he had a horrible mother and a horrible father. So he needed a mother because he wanted a mother, whether he wanted to admit that or not. But he wasn't like so dependent on her like Michael and other people were. So I loved that relationship. Okay, well, we are now going to get to Vic's death, which was in the beginning of season four. And it was pretty much right after he's moved into Rodney, Rodney's place and Michael and um, Emmett find him. And it was very, very tragic and sad. So, uh, Carla, I remember when you were watching this and you were tweeting about it and I were, and I knew it was coming and I was like, Oh my gosh, man, I can't prepare, but, (laughs) and I think I was even like tweeting like, Oh my gosh, Rick is so awesome. I'm so happy for him that he finally gets to live the life that he deserves. And this is like, he dies. It just, Oh my gosh. I, I think as far as supporting character deaths go that hit me in the in the feels like it's this and Bobby Singer from Supernatural where I was just like what the hell and I wanted to like rage quit and I was like I hate this this sucks how could you do this to me Aaron telling me about shows that I should watch where like good people die and it was like especially I think hard because he had just you know, he, he's he's finally out on his own and he's so happy. He was so happy. But on the other hand, it's like he died happy. He he died in the home that he had made with the man that he loved. And that, I think, is a beautiful testament to a life well lived, that he he didn't die 
in in Debbie's house, having never really experienced a relationship like he had with Rodney. And he was able to, you know, he, he was creating a community with the people who lived nearby and he was having friends over for, for dinners and all of this wonderful stuff. And, you know, as an older sister, I get feeling slighted because your, your younger sibling hasn't had you over, but they've had the whole neighborhood over and you step in and they're, and they're like, Oh, you can stay. And I was like, I wasn't invited. I don't want to be here. To a point, I get that. But at the same time, you just suck it up and smile and say, I'm so glad that you're making friends. And leave. But no matter what, no matter what, I I know that he didn't die hating Debbie. He didn't die with resentment in his heart. He said his piece. He knew that they would eventually make up because it's not a family where you never speak again. It's simply not possible with these people. So I, I, I really don't think that, that there was ever a moment in his, in his mind where that, um, that fight resonated to the long term, if that makes sense. So I, I think that as, as hard and, you know, like it, it's easy to say it. It's a whole different thing to live it and to, for Debbie to not feel that guilt that she felt afterwards. And, and that feeling of like, you know, the lack of closure, the feeling that, you know, you let your sibling down, all of those things are very real and very valid and very, they're important feelings that she had and, you know, not to negate all of that, but in the more, you know, in your head world, not necessarily in your heart world, knowing that your sibling still loved you. Because Vic absolutely loved Debbie. They loved each other deeply and dearly. So they were always going to reconcile. And it's unfortunately it's unfortunate that they didn't get to do it in this on this plane. But yeah, it was like such a hard death as a viewer because I really got attached to Vic. And, you know, like you get attached to so many characters. And this, like you were saying, Aaron, it makes sense that that he dies. It, it absolutely makes sense. It doesn't make it hurt less. <laughs> yeah. You know, it still sucks, but it, it, it makes sense. And then, you know, watching Michael and Emmett be the ones to, to find him. I mean, Michael, his, his nephew who has loved him and looked up to him and who has, you know, they've been in each other's lives so much. And Michael is kind of in denial when he sees him and Emmett, like he gets it right away. He's like, this guy's not moving, but he can't really do anything. He's kind of like stuck there until Michael finally comes to the realization that, Oh my God, my uncle is dead. It, it's, oh, it, it's, it was like, a, it was a beautifully done scene, but it, it just crushes you as a viewer. Yeah. And Danelle. Yeah. Oh, losing Vic was a gut punch. That was definitely a gut punch on that for me watching the show. And especially the second time, I think watching it as I was older, I just, I don't know. I just related to, to Vic more as far as the relationship he had with Debbie and the others. And I just grew to appreciate the character more um, the second watch. So yeah, just, I think it was beautifully done. Um, it's a credit to the writing and the acting, you know, of all the characters that were involved with Vic's death and 
just yeah <laughs> it was it was so ha- I was so happy to see his character you know him and Rodney together and happy and you know you kind of got the feeling that you knew that him and Debbie would figure it out right eventually <laughs> you just knew they were both too stubborn at the moment <laughs> to to let it go and that's where their you know family ties come into play because they were a little bit more alike than they probably wanted to admit in certain ways but to me that was the hardest thing seeing especially Debbie the guilt that she had was so heartbreaking cuz you know she she did give everything to to protect Vic. I mean, if she would have done what she did for Vic, he wouldn't have had that chance. He wouldn't have had that relationship with Rodney. He wouldn't have been able to go forward. And I think on a level, Vic knew that. He just didn't want to have to be reminded of it all the time. And I think, you know, Debbie kind of took that, like you said earlier, so much of her personality was wrapped up into that. It was hard for her to let that piece go. So, yeah, I mean, seeing Vic overcome what he did um, and and having those moments of happiness. Unfortunately, I just wish it would have been longer. <laughs> it, was sad, it was sad to let that character go, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, watching it live and not knowing that was going to happen. Yes. Season four, which season four is my favorite season of Queer as Folk, which may sound, <laughs> I, I hated losing Vic, but it is my favorite season. And that was just watching it live was like such a gut punch because I think we had gotten to that point, the audience had gotten to that point where even though we knew Vic could potentially die, I don't think any of us thought he was going to die. And so it was that made it all the more gut wrenching when he did, because it was just like the rug being pulled out from underneath you in a way. Although it makes sense, I like I never got mad that they did it. It just really hurt, and I think it makes sense that they do it when you're thinking that's not going to happen. When you're like comfortable and you're thinking, "Oh, well, Vic's going to make it. We won't have to see that." And there were, of course, lots of story reasons why it happened, too, for other characters, um, because Hunter, that was Hunter's first real experience of, you know, he's HIV positive and what that means and seeing that and how that terrifies him and scares him dealing with that. And, of course, it also was, a, you know, became a catalyst in a way for the whole cancer storyline with Brian. So it was like this whole thing. And also with Deb trying to forgive herself for the fight that she had and Deb with the whole Christmas, planning that whole Christmas because she finds that note and doing that and how that was so sad to me. That was so hard to watch because she wanted everything to be perfect and she wouldn't just take a moment to grieve. She was not allowing herself that and she wanted to get like the biggest, grandest statue for his grave and, you know, the tombstone, everything. And he, Vic wouldn't have cared about that, but she felt so guilty about their fight that she felt she had to do something. And so watching Debbie grieve that death and then eventually, you know, deciding to really live was so sad. And um, it was like her, her really losing not only her brother, but her best friend. And yeah. in in some ways, her her soulmate, because I think you can have soulmates that are not romantic 
And so I think in some ways, Vic was her soulmate too. And so she was losing so much of her. And so was Michael. And Michael also, you know, that's also a fear of his with Ben is that he's going to have to say goodbye to Ben at some point too. So having all of that, you know, combined, but I will always appreciate that we never saw Vic, like we didn't have to see like you normally would, where it was almost like, it almost became like trauma porn in a way, the way you would see a lot of people dying of AIDS in entertainment. And so we didn't have to see like this long drawn out in hospice situation, which yes, that happened all the time, but it was nice that we didn't have that, that Vic went when he was so happy and he just went, it sounded like it was a very quick death. And so that I appreciated that we didn't have to have this long drawn out thing of having to see Vic suffer for weeks and weeks and weeks. That would have been just unnecessary at that point, and we it wasn't needed for the story. So I'll always appreciate them for I that. I always thought it was a beautiful representation of just the fragility of life. Yeah. I always thought it was such a neat way to, you know, wrap it up in a story, so to speak, but just to remind us, you never know, right? You're ne- we're not promised tomorrow. And I think Vic being healthy at the time and happy, but just passing away in his sleep, basically, because that's what happened, right? It's just a reminder that we're never promised tomorrow and and to appreciate your loved ones in the here and now constantly. And I, I thought the show handled that so beautifully. That was one of the things that I really appreciated, as hard as it was. Um, yeah, I think it was a, a beautiful way to to show that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I'm just so glad we didn't have to see Ben die because that would have been if they would have done that. Forget it. I would never be talking about this show again. He <laughs> is he is probably my favorite character in that show. And if anything, if anybody touched a single hair on his little head, I would riot. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that would be your reaction because I know how yes, much you love like, Ben. So it's him and Emmett <laughs> are the lights of my life on this show. Like, can you imagine? Like, I would, I, I wouldn't even be on this podcast episode. I'd be protesting. I'd, I'd be like boycotting everything to do with queers folk. Like, screw you guys. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> that would have been awful. I can't imagine them doing that. But that would, I've, that would have been awful. Uh, because the point of Ben being on there was showing that people can live with this and can start living and have a life and everything. So that would have just totally negated the whole <laughs> point of this character. Uh, and I love Ben too. I understand. I, I I don't understand because I love Ben so much. But I know there are people that do not like Ben. A lot of people in the fandom don't like Ben. I know, Carla. But... <laughs> I love Ben and I th- I I loved Ben and Michael. Ben made Michael more tolerable for me. <laughs> I have to say cuz Michael <laughs> got on my nerves. Oh my god. I think Michael did a lot of growing up with Ben and yes. that's what made it better. Oh my god. As much as I I like Michael for his flaws, I do, you know, like there's something so enduring and it's because it's Hal Sparks. I mean, you, how can you not love <laughs> Hal Sparks? He's just so damn adorable. But yeah, I think his growing up with Ben was, you know, during that relationship is what, like you said, made him more tolerable. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, and 
you know, I just, they were, they were a really good match. I liked their relationship a lot. And I, I love Ben. Yeah. I love Ben a lot. I, still, one of my favorite lines ever will be when, they're trying, when he wants Hunter, he wants to help Hunter out. And, he, and Ben's like, but it's Christmas. And Michael's like, it's not Christmas. <laughs> I just like the way he says that because it's so, I don't know. I'm not doing it justice because I just, I just like the way Robert Gant says that line. I don't know. There's something about it. And Robert Gant, if you don't follow Robert Gant on um, Instagram and stuff, I highly, highly suggest following him. A lot of the cast members, but follow him. Um, he does a lot He's of a delight. He is. And um, and I know how much this show meant to him because it helped him with his coming out journey. So, uh, so yeah. So, we, we will talk about Ben at some point. We will. I know we didn't do that this year, but it'll happen because there's next year. So, we are going to... We are going to do Six Degrees of Finn because I do have a Six Degrees of Finn. I don't know if anyone else has a Six Degrees of Finn, but I, but I'm kind of <laughs> – I know you may think I'm like duplicating things here because I kind of am in a way because I'm using the same exact thing that I did last week. But I'm like, that's fine because we'll just call it the theme of the Queer as Folk episodes. So I did use Sharon Bless, who was in the show Burn Notice. With Gabrielle Anwar, who was in The Three Musketeers. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that movie. With Kiefer Sutherland, who was in Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, who was in Winter's Tale with Finn. So I got to use Colin Farrell again. <laughs> I was obsessed with The Three Musketeers. Oh, you were? <laughs> I was obsessed with that movie. <laughs> Oh man, were you too, Janelle? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought it was good, but I don't remember being obsessed with it. Oh, so you just said, Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't either. But I do love the fact that you you used Colin Farrell too, because, uh, yeah. It's yes. Colin. <laughs> I like using Colin Farrell. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of my other Hollywood husbands, but yeah. uh, no, 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 he's he's mine. No, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> well, I have Keanu, and I've claimed him for years. So there we go. There you go. Yes, because you know, I mean, I I am going to Ireland this year, and I assume that anyone that goes to Ireland, they're greeted by Colin <laughs> Farrell at the airport. This is what my well, sure. assumption is. So of course, this will start our love affair. <laughs> it will be a beautiful one. He saw this girl who was unlike all the other girls who had stepped off of planes in Ireland. Girl, you have watched Leap Year or uh, P.S. I Love You way too much. (laughs) I think I've only seen those once. So, no, it's just, it's just, I mean, my name is Aaron, which means Ireland. I I would love to see a compilation of you saying that over and over and over again. (laughs) I should do that because I have done that before. That's how, because my sister and I are in a fake fight over this because my sister's like, no, that's my husband. And I'm like, my name is Aaron. So he's Ireland and we're going together. So I'm like, I'm sorry, but (laughs) it's destined. It's in the stars. He's a, he's a Gemini. I'm a Sagittarius. I always fall for Gemini's. He's he's Colin Farrell. I'm Aaron Barlow. <laughs> yes, it just it just naturally works. The stars have aligned. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't wait until I go to the to the wedding ceremony for Aaron and Colin Marlo Farrell. Yeah, we're planning it now, Carla. We gotta well, get yes. it. He is such a progressive man. He will absolutely take your hyphenated name. Oh, yes, he will. He will. And he's so emotional. He'll be crying just as much as I am. It will be amazing. Yes. And it works. Your wedding works will be sponsored really well. by Kleenex. Marlo Farrell. I like it. So yeah, see, see, it's meant to be. It is meant to be. It's in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> now, Aaron, are these stars something that you always see? Or are they only provoked by certain substances? <laughs> <laughs> what? <No. laughs> Let's just hope Christian doesn't get jealous. Oh, well, Chris, Christian, see, this is the thing. I don't. Th- I don't know if people realize this. I do think Christian Bale is an attractive man. It's not that at all. I just don't. I'm not like I don't lust after Christian Bale. I just don't. I honestly just has a craft boner for him, but not a boner <laughs> yes, boner for him. Yes, that's exactly what it is because. I know he ha- he's very much in love with his wife. He's got his family. That's fine. I, you know, I lust after some of his characters and the way he looks there, but I just don't. It's this weird, it's this, it's just he's my favorite actor. And that's, that's, and I still can't wait for the day I'm interviewing him for two hours. Two hours. <laughs> two hours. Well, because he just won't stop answering questions. <laughs> And his publicist will come in and be like, um, Christian, we, we kind of got to go, you know, your flight. And Christian will be like, hold on there. I'm still speaking with Erin. She has very, very many fascinating questions and I must answer all of them very thoroughly. Oh my gosh. This is how I'm going to meet Christian through Colin because they've been in a movie together. <gasps> oh, <laughs> He's going to introduce my God. you. There it is. Yes. There it is. You are almost zero degrees away <laughs> from Christian Bale. It's about to happen. You are almost zero. <laughs> All thanks to your fiance. <laughs> yes, my fiance, Colin. <laughs> but before we before um Colin decides to issue a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I there would be no reason to do that, honestly. <laughs> she's not. She's not as the kids say, Lulu, like that. Yeah. <laughs> but we are going to go ahead and wrap up this episode and wrap up this year's queers folk. I do want to just mention. I am trying to decide what we're going to do next year. I know that's a year away, but this is the way I am, and so I am trying to decide if we're going to just focus now on just focusing on season by season and we'll just do two-parters or if we're just going to focus on another character so let me know what you want us to do we'll have a poll sometime next year or at the end of this year about that as well but let us know but we're going to go ahead and have my lovely panelists tell me where they can be found so carla from bedwetter behead that hasn't done a colin farrell episode yet but someday um, um, hello, the Banshees. No, you, no, you, bed, oh, bed. I see on my episode. On my podcast. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Never mind. I take it back. Do, 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 like, reel what? it back in. I'm like, what are you talking about? You did a Colin Farrell episode. I can't believe you haven't listened to every single episode that we put out, especially that one that we did, especially so you could hear it. But anyway, Aaron, I'd have to be on it. Can- so. <laughs> 
You can find Bedwetter Behead podcast wherever you get your fine podcasts. You can also look for us on social media, regardless of whether or not we post. We're there. You should follow us because that's just showing solidarity. And if you don't show us solidarity, it means that you're not an ally of the women's podcast movement. Um, <laughs> uh, on Twitter, we are at BedwetBeheadPod. On Instagram, we are at bed.wet.behead.pod. On TikTok, we are at bedwetbeheadpod. We are at bedwetbeheadpod. We are at bedwetbeheadpod. You can also look for me and my art and my musings on Instagram at carlatemis or my website carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S.com. My site is currently going undergoing renovations, but you can still find lots of content and like enjoy it with your eyeballs. <laughs> that was awesome. I wagged my finger. Not like I was shaming you. I just Ooh. wagged my finger. No, no. I felt no shame. <laughs> <laughs> so Danelle yes you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Draven Pearl and also on TikTok as Draven Pearl as well awesome thank you and this is Aaron remember you want to follow Fergie um, who soon you know Colin will be Fergie's uncle at some point um <laughs> Uh, but follow Fergie on TikTok at Schroeder and Fergs. That's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-A-N-D-F-E-R-G-S. Yes, it's long, but it is worth it. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, I really, I very, I pride myself on my interviews. I think I released a few a couple of weeks ago that were really, really good, some of my favorites. So if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, head on over to our website. It's a phantomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button. That'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And while you're there, if you want to support us monetarily, we are now offering a seven-day free trial on Patreon at the $3 a month level. We have three different levels. We have $3, $7, and $15. You get different things with those. But at the $3 a month level, you do get bonus episodes. You get ad-free episodes. So if you heard ads during this, which you probably did, but if you did, you won't hear those on Patreon. And we also do giveaways every once in a while. You get to help decide on some of the bonus episodes we do. We do polls for that. So it's just great content you will get. And you get seven days free. And then you can become a Patreon supporter for three bucks a month. Or you can just join at the higher level, not with a seven-day free trial. But if you want some other stuff like free merch after a certain amount of time. And speaking of bonus episodes we have on there... Soon, we're going to have up single all the way with Carla. And that's a tie-in to Colin Farrell because the director of Single All the Way also directed a movie that I've mentioned only a few dozen times on here, A Home at the End of the World, which features one of my favorite Colin Farrell performances. And we will talk about that movie at some point. But we also released a Renfield episode. We have a Cocaine Bear episode. 
we have a menu, the menu episode, and Carla joined me to talk about the Banshees of Sharon with my future husband, Colin Farrell, for about two over two hours. It's a long one. And it wasn't just gushing about Colin Farrell, I promise. <laughs> was it every second was worth it? <laughs> yes, it was very much so. And a bunch of other great bonus content over there. So head to the link in our show notes or go to our website and click, uh, it's a phantomthingpod.com and click the support us button there. You could also go to our Redbubble store to get some, it's a Brian Sex on Legs Kinney thing merch. Uh, we also have, it's a Findom thing merch. We don't have any Colin Farrell merch yet. Maybe that'll happen soon. I don't know. I'll have, I'll have him approve it when I meet him later. Um, <laughs> for our wedding. <laughs> it's a red bubble merch for our wedding. Celebrate the wedding of, okay. It'll be join the celebration. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then if, and then if you want to support us, in other ways, a free way to support this show in any indie podcast, including Bedwetter Behead and Liberty Diner Dish. I want to give them a shout out as well. So if you want to help us indie creators, the biggest thing you could do for us is number one, rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. People forget Spotify has ratings as well. And then the biggest thing, share, 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 share. If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your dogs, tell your parakeets, tell your fish. Tell tell that person down the street that you're trying to figure out how to break into conversation with. Start with this. There you go. <laughs> that's that's the- hi handsome. Have you ever heard of it's a fandom thing pod and Bedwetter Head podcast? And then you throw in that saucy wink. Yes, yes. Please, please do that. It's a great conversation starter. So yes. So next week, Carla is going to return. And it's just Carla and me. And we are going to be talking about the late, great David Bowie. And then in two weeks, it'll be just Danelle and I to talk about Trent Reznor. So we're doing two music episodes back to back. Yes, David Bowie was also a fantastic actor as well. So we will be talking about that too. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter, and Stop Asian Hate.